0: Took a shot at do say now missing my Took a shot at now missing my walk Took a shot at do say now missing my walk. Took a shot at do, say, now I'm now missing my wall stay like six in the I still can't believe won't be
1: hitting my phone
2: hey fam how's it going this is champagne sharks you know what it is this is T Trevor you can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S and we have with us
1: Mike hey everybody it's big Mike you can find me on Twitter. At Black Exception One, let's get it. And we have the Mills. What's going on, everybody? It's D
3: Mills. You can catch me on Twitter at mdmills79. Let's do it.
2: Oliver, okay. And we have a special guest. We have Adrian, also known as A Double, um from the
0: podcast Do Rags and Boat Shoes. Hey, what's going on, family? It's your boy A Double. You can find me on Twitter at i got two twitter handles i got my personal one at omaha hostage and then uh you can find me at durags Bow shoes on twitter oh awesome.
3: that's what's up
2: oh nice nice yeah yeah um adrian helped me out a lot because he gave me a lot of tips about uh doing the well i don't know if i want to put him on blast because <laughs> the, 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 the early the early uh episodes sounded bad so i don't want you to get the blame for them but it okay, wasn't his okay. fault. But but he, he helped me a lot with the uh telling me what how what to do with the sound and uh how to educate myself on mics and everything. So, you know, uh you were really helpful with me uh setting up because I knew like zero.
0: Yeah, okay. And I'm glad I could help you out with yeah. that. Yeah.
2: Huh? Yeah, yeah. So much appreciated. And he wasn't responsible for the bad parts of the recording, you know. I had a steep you know, learning not- curve to do. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's I no small I, thing either though, I would like to say, because a lot of brothers, like, you know, they be doing their own thing and they, you know, they I don't know if it's a fear of competition or whatever. But they don't want to help other brothers and get them advice about what they doing. And, you know, just so, that, you know, I think that's not a small thing that he did to help help T and uh all of us yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Some brothers, some, brothers yeah. <laughs> some brothers will give you bad advice. Some brothers will give you like the
3: uh teach you some how to fuck up, up like, your you know, I, just, I went to this page on Google, man. So here, here's the link. You know, just go to this page on Google. No details. They'll know every technical aspect of it and everything, but they'll tell you to go to Google. It's crazy. But I, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those things where um, I had some situations before where I'd ask people, you know, how to do this and how to do that. Uh, I remember before, like years ago when I was, you know, messing around with music, dabbling in it, I wanted to, you know, these people around the city was charging too much to shoot music videos. And I was figuring out like, how do I, use, how can I use a camera? So I was asking all of these guys how to do it and nobody would hit me back on my space at all, like nothing. So I, I know what that feels like, but you, you don't ever want to be that type of hater. And I know uh, T has a large following and people need to hear what he got to say. So.
2: And tell us where you're from. Cause we didn't uh, say that yet.
0: Oh yeah, I'm from uh, Omaha, Nebraska. We do have black folks here. Uh, <laughs> it's <just laughs> you, know, it's funny. Uh, you know.
2: I didn't want to ask that, but that's always like the first thing black people always ask each other when they, <laughs> it's yeah. a different city. Like, like they would say, like, oh, "How many black people are there?"
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, whenever I go to another city, a major city, uh, I remember visiting uh, Chicago for the first time a few years back. And uh, the lady at the hotel, you know, she was asking if we were riding horses and things like that, you know, throughout the city. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, you think of Nebraska, all you think is corn and, you know, flatlands, maybe a little bit of rolling hills and things like that. But Omaha is a it's it's, I describe Omaha as a major city with town folk. Everybody's going to speak to you here. So it's about 400,000 people here. Um the black folks is about almost sixty thousand of us, so about thirteen fourteen percent of the population. But you know, most of us don't be filling out that census form. So I think it's more here. But um, so you guys are actually yeah. representative of yes, the national so,
3: population. Yeah. Then about thirteen to 40.
0: That's what's called. yeah. Yep. Pretty pretty similar, and I think that's just kind of eerie right there. You know, they always saying that we thirteen percent of the population as been a whole, like but a you thousand. know, yeah. black folks be having We've a been that left for left centuries.
3: Thirteen percent right. of
0: the yeah. population. Yeah. yeah ex- Exactly, exactly, exactly. But um, yeah. So I'm from the uh, northeast side of Omaha. Um, uh, you know, Black Omaha. We call it down north. Uh, just because, like I said, it's the northeast side of the city. Um, and it's it's a urban area. But what's crazy about Omaha is the urban areas would not look like other major city urban areas. You know, there's not a lot of housing developments and things like that. A lot of houses. So it would look like, you know, quote unquote, like suburbia in a different major city.
3: Now, were you, were you, uh, born and raised in Omaha or did you relocate or?
0: Yeah, man. Uh, born and raised, um, first generation in Omaha. Well, well, second generation, my uncle, he's five years older than me, but yeah, my, uh, my mom and my grandma and them everybody uh, you know from my mom back uh, was born down in Mississippi just ex- just outside of uh, Jackson Mississippi and uh, they act- was crazy they actually came up to Omaha and uh, well, my grandma she passed away years ago so she won't mind me telling the story about how we came up here but my uh, my grandma's brother, uh, so my great uncle, uh, he was accused of peeking at a white woman in her window, and they were going to lynch him. Yeah, and so my great grandma, she was a nurse down south in Mississippi. She uh said gave gave him all the money that she had and sent him up here on a train. And he wrote back home that it's not you know as racist as Mississippi, and people you know folks, my folks just uh, gradually kept coming up here slowly.
2: Oh wow, yeah, um, did. Did they give her
0: any problems
2: when he disappeared? Like, you know, we know you sent him away. Where is he or whatever? Do you, you know, know anything um, about
0: that? I, I heard a couple of things about some visits and things like that. But, you know, she she was a strong woman. She stood strong. And, you know, just pretty much it was a no snitching rule, rightfully so. And, uh, you know, it was a blessing that she was able to make it up here. All my people yeah, were able to people make it up here. The
3: origins of the whole no snitching oh. thing like you just brought up. But, you know, at that time, it was a very good reason yeah. why you didn't give out information and snitch on people, as you can tell. You know, a, a, a potential lynching, you know, that was always a fear for uh, any black person raised in the Jim Crow era. Man, that's that's what's up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. But that, yeah, that's how I ended up here. And um so yeah. What else your, y'all on got on your though? podcast, man? How'd you how'd you get into that, and
3: like, what are some of the things that you like to cover on your podcast? I'm always interested in hearing, you know, why people got into the the situations that they're in, and 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 what they do for a living, and things like that. I thought that would be interesting for the audience to hear.
0: Um, you know, as far as me getting into uh, do rags and boat shoes, it was one of the things I started a couple years back. Um, It's been about two and a half years. So I started back in what was it about April of 2015. And, uh, you know, just me being, you know, from the north side and just being one of these people who was always out in the streets, ripping and running and things like that. Um, you know, I started to see like younger kids coming to me for advice and things of that sort. Uh Most folks just know me from, you know, being a gym rat and being on the playgrounds up at Adam Center all the time, just hooping and things like that. And basketball really saved my life, to tell you the truth, because. We just lived in a heavy gang territory, you know, and I was a latchkey kid. You know, my mama was always at work. So, you know, I'm coming home, you know, or picking up my little brother from school and going straight, you know, in the house and things like that. But, you know, your mama tell you to stay in the house. You know, I just stay in the house till I got that phone call to say I made it safely in. I'm out on the streets, you know, ripping and running. But, um, you know, I really just got into basketball, you know, junior high year. And, and it just kept me from you know just being a victim of the streets or a victim of the system and uh most of the kids you know would come by my house to hoop and things like that like kids a little bit younger than me and then they would meet me at playground and hoop just to kind of stay away from the streets and things like that and then I would start you know help mentor little kids as far as helping them with their homework and you know trying to keep them on the right track and things of that sorts and um You know, as I got older, you know, I seen a lot of these kids, you know, made some dumb mistakes and things like that. And, um, you know, I just told them to keep on uh, thriving and grinding and just giving them some positive advice and showing them how to work. The system as far as getting into a job and moving up and learning a skill and taking that skill and going someplace else because uh Omaha is has a lot of you know warehouse jobs different like manufacturing uh, like plastic tubs like your ice cream tubs and things like that so you can go to one of these little jobs make 11 twelve dollars an hour but you get your forklift certification you can go to a different company and you're making 16 seventeen dollars an hour and in Omaha You know, it's always a thing where I say, you know, you might not have the job you want, but that job is going to keep a roof over your head and keep the lights on because the cost of living here is so damn cheap. So it was just, you know, kids seeing me, you know, kind of come up out that life from, you know, wilding in the streets and just being on a straight and narrow. You know, I had a few setbacks, but, you know, it was just, you know, a lot of kids were like, well, you need to start. A lot of the young Jesus telling me I need to, you know, start telling more people. And that's how I really got into the podcast. So with my podcast, Durags and Boat Shoes, is just me. tiptoeing that fine line between the sun and the moon so you got the do rag part which is the black part just being black as hell and um then you got the boat shoes which is the whitest thing i could think of right so uh it's just that duality and i think y'all know about it about being yourself at home and then you have to maneuver into the corporate world and just you know doing what you can to keep the lights on and so that's why my podcast really just has like a pop culture feel to it a, uh, a young feel to it just because I just sound like I'm having a conversation Man, with somebody I up. know. So, yeah, the title
2: of this yeah. show, uh, you know, it's funny. I play, I play coy with it. Like sometimes people ask me, and I just don't answer. But the uh, t- title of this uh-huh. show is I play on the same thing with the Champagne Sharks. That idea of having like, yeah. a, having to be highbrow or, ch- or having to navigate like you know one side of the world and the Sharks is the flip side of that. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I totally uh, get that. Uh, we play with that same duality in the title of this show. I want to ask you more questions about Omaha because you d- you describe the it. whole situation out there, and you know how the work is, and I you know I know how it goes. There's always different types of fields and whatever that a lot of blue collar gigs that uh, brothers get into, and I know all over America right now there's that influx of, you know, immigrants, uh, outsourcing all that stuff. So I know
0: for, uh-huh. for a lot of us, absolutely,
2: we have generations like, like that same thing that these white Trump people are uh, complaining about, about how there's like a type of loss of opportunity outsourcing or that working class hustle, not being what it used to be the unions under the, and the decline. Uh-huh. We've been the canary in the coal mine for that for a while. Like it's, if it's hitting them, it's always hitting us harder. So yeah. What's been going on out there with uh, that? Have there been like, a lot of immigrants, a lot of outsourcing?
0: Uh, as far as outsourcing, uh, the thing that we're seeing right now is ConAgra Foods, Uh, They had their main campus here in Omaha, just downtown, uh, just uh, a little bit east of the old market. And, you know, they do everything from like Swanson Foods, uh, TV dinner, Chef Boyardee, things of that sort. It's just the corporate headquarters. They're actually uh, leaving for uh, Chicago uh, to go out there. And, you know, there's a bunch of people who are going to lose their jobs there. But as far as. you know, things that don't require a degree. We're not seeing any uh, loss of jobs here. Uh, we're actually just trying to have people, you know, actually come in to work and things of that sorts. But as far as the immigration things goes, uh, I was saying off air, we're talking about, you know, different different demographics here. You have uh, the Hispanics over in South Omaha, uh, you know, that's Little Mexico now. And, uh, you know, ain't nobody gonna get offended because that's what everybody in Omaha calls it, you know, from every shade of... Roy G. Biv, you know, but, um, A lot of those, uh, y'all remember Roy G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, over in South Omaha, as far as uh, the jobs go, what I can talk about is uh, a lot of those Hispanics there, you know, they own their own businesses. There's a bunch of thrift stores over there. And then there's the meatpacking plant. And what's so crazy about the meatpacking plant in South Omaha, um, back in the 70s, uh, brothers used to work there and they used to just be there making a killing. And uh, then that's when we had the influx of white flight because. Northeast Omaha was actually a white suburb, but you know, black folks started getting these jobs. You know, coming home uh, from the war and things of that sort, uh, and getting jobs at the uh, the packing plant and making that good money. And you know, like Dr. Claude Anderson said, you know, if there's you know too many black folks and white folks gonna dip out, so we had white flight, and that's why you have all these suburbias in the Omaha metropolitan area. You'll have uh, the suburb of Papillion. You got La Vista, Millard Uh, and Ralston. And these are all white flight areas. And myself, you know, I work in the La Vista area and always just try to make sure that when I go to work, I go to work, you know, in the early morning, I work about 12, 13 hours. But once that sun goes down and I'm done with my route, you know, I don't stop anywhere. I just head straight out because it does feel like sundown towns in these white flight areas. But going back to the packing plant uh, before white flight, So now you got a bunch of Hispanics, there working there. So now the hourly wage has dropped. So now you got brothers still working at the packing plant, but they're uh, the packing house, but they're making 20 bucks an hour, wow. but they're only working four hours a day, which sucks. So, yeah, so they really ain't making no money. You know what I'm saying? So the hourly wage is still up there and it's killing it, but there's no overtime and they only work in four hours a day. And so now um, over here on the north side, we're seeing an influx of people coming over from war torn Burma. I forgot what it's called now. The uh, country is broken up. But this was back in about 2010. And uh, so we're seeing the influx of the, the Burmese people. And uh, we have a strip here in Omaha from uh, about 24th and Ames up to about 72nd and Ames. And I was saying off air is there's a bunch of Asian markets that are popping up in little small um, Asian um, uh, like Thai foods and things like that that's wow. popping up just out of nowhere. These people have come in here and, you know, they put their mind to the grind. And uh, yeah, they're just making a killing. Like, you know, like I said, off air, my mom, Duke, she always goes there to buy her. excuse me her produce because it's so much cheaper there but they just came in and they just there was just so many dilapidated buildings and just beat up uh you know strip malls on the north side from failed businesses that kind of closed you know during the um the 08 you know when we had that fall the economic fall but yeah they just came in and you know they were here since 2010 and these shops started popping up about 2016 and you just seeing these in family markets just popping up everywhere and they're just making a killing because you go in there and it's not only the Burmese people in there you know shopping and getting what they want but you know it's people that look like me and there's you know white folks in there hispanic folks in there shopping so it's, it's crazy to see that And then on the flip side, what just kind of hurts is uh, I was talking off air about uh, what was happening with the Sudanese. So they had some something was going on with the coup with the government, maybe something similar to what's happening now in Zimbabwe. But this was back in the early 2000s. Um, So we had an influx of Sudanese cats come over here, uh, folks. uh, I didn't mean to call them cats, but uh, folks come over here and. uh, they basically, you know, put them in the same housing developments as they did the Burmese. But on the flip f- side, what you see now is a lot of them brothers are, you know, messing with that rock. They uh, strung out, you know, and they dealing with uh, alcoholism. You see him just passed out in front of the liquor store off off of Leavenworth. And um, what's crazy about the Midwest is uh, I know over in the east, over the Appalachian Mountains, y'all have that opioid epidemic. But we got meth here heavy. So every uh, a couple weeks you seeing about a rolling meth lab blowing up and it's sad to see, you know, so many, uh, non-white specifically blacks, you know, messing with that meth. I was just going to ask that. Are the black, so the black people are fucking with the meth out there? Yeah. Yeah, they are, man. And it's, uh, it's sad, man. Over in uh, Iowa next door, there was a story about a brother who tried to cash a million dollar check who was high on meth. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I know.
3: yeah. Out here, we have a similar situation in the, in the San Bernardino County area, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of that with, with some of the black people that live in that area, because that's one of those areas where back in the early 90s, when they originally started closing down a lot of the Section 8 housing in Compton and in uh, South Central and in the Pasadena area where I'm from. Uh-huh. And so they opened up Section 8 housing and housing developments and things like that out in San Bernardino County area. Mm-hmm. And there's really nothing there, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like it's like a desert area, and um, so meth is heavy out there. You have a lot of meth labs out there and things like that. So you're hearing stories of, of black people becoming addicted to meth in, in San Bernardino County. Man, it's it's crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Around this way, around this way as well. You know, uh, I'm here in Wisconsin and um. I don't know if you guys remember, but I shared this with uh, you guys, uh, Mario and uh, T. We, uh, there was a, mm-hmm. a, a gang of dudes that come up from Chicago and, uh, you know, they initially were trafficking heroin, but it got kind of tight with the heroin. I don't know. Oh, they ended up with a plug oh, for wow. meth and they just substituted it and they didn't even tell anybody. So there's a they didn't make it to race yeah, but they're in the, in the city it's, south of that's it, Kenosha. Of the so they got a uh, bunch of people strung on out plant, on that map. They
3: say when, they, when you get addicted to that stuff, it's so. it's ridiculously hard to try and get off of it. Once that stuff gets into it. And the it's
2: weird. Exactly. Dropped. It's like, it reminds me of like uh crack back in the day. Like, one thing with crack that I never understood back in the day was how new people kept getting on it because yeah, they were just such yeah. walking PSAs. Like, I understand when it first happened, but, like, by the time it got oh, to the early yeah. 90s, you know, when it first happened, you don't have the horror stories yet, but I remember, like, when the crack era was at its peak, I used to wonder, like, who were the new crackheads? Like, you know, early 90s, still jumping on it. And I feel that way when I hear about new meth epidemics. Like,
1: yeah. See, yeah. like the word is so out. That's even worse, though, with the meth. I definitely don't understand that one. I kind of get the crack one because, like, a lot of the guys that I know that ended up doing crack, they started, you know, when we were younger, teenagers sniffing cocaine and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, if when you're selling drugs or whatever, you can kind of keep up with that. But, you know, a powder cocaine is a more expensive habit. Absolutely. So when you fall off, it's like that's how they. that's how a lot of them end up on that yeah. rock as far as I saw. But I don't get the meth thing. I'll at tell all. you
0: exactly how in the Midwest, uh, how in Omaha, you know, the, this meth epidemic happened. It's just. You know, everybody hangs out with everybody, you know, poor folks hang out with poor folks and so on and so on. And, you know, it's a, a lot of, you know, degeneracy going on, you know, when white folks are doing something, you know, sleazy and, you know, low down. They gonna you know, come to the hood and do stuff like that. It's a lot of uh, here in Omaha, like on the northeast side, down north. You will see, which is crazy as catch to me. I'm sorry, can we cuss on here? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Oh yeah, we've been cussing. Okay. I think I think okay.
0: I, I think we let a few fly already. So that's all. Okay, good. cool, cool. Yeah, but uh it's just crazy as catch shit You will see uh and I use this uh, this analogy or whatever you want to call it, but you will see there's a woman who drives around here in the city with a Mustang with a Confederate flag license plate, but she got two mixed kids, you know, and it's just <laughs> Is you you just see stuff like this all the time? You'll see somebody with like a stars and bars T-shirt, you know, wearing some old ass, you know, uh, fucking Diddy jeans and some LeBrons on some beat up LeBrons. It's just the wild. It's just so much degeneracy here you know, when you start getting in towards uh, Carter Lake, which we have a little lake area called Carter Lake, Iowa. I don't know how it's part of Iowa when it's over in the Nebraska side, but y'all can read about that whenever. But there's a lot of, you know, degeneracy that happens down there and you just see folks just all shades, you know, just getting strung out on that meth and it's so damn cheap, you know, and the high is, you know, way more intense than dealing with, you know, that ready rock, that crack rock. So that's really just how you see it. Um, that's That's how a lot of black folks, you know, get, Get hooked on that is such a cheap high, and you know, just hanging out with wow. degenerates here. So
2: that's an old school term, man. Ready rock? I haven't yeah. heard of ready rock in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. that brought me back. Yeah. yeah, that's
3: wild. So I guess there's a quality about meth that's yeah. similar to crack yeah. in that it's it's easy to manufacture when you have ingredients. So maybe that's uh-huh. why uh, crack and meth are have so easily. Swept the streets and just completely devastated communities, you know, because it's so easy to mass produce it, man. That um, I was, now the heroin, absolutely, quite understand that one is kind of weird to me, but uh you know what I was wondering, I, the other two, I get. You want to say something, Mike?
1: Well, I was just wondering. I kind of wanted to go back a little bit. Uh, I don't, you know, about with uh, what Adrian was saying about how the people from Burma are, uh, and the people from Sudan Ooh. had two different. Uh, you know, results. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder what what you attribute that to out there.
0: Um, you know what? I I do I do not know to tell you the truth because uh, it was well, it could be a situation where, you know, they were just practicing group ep- economics. You know, it might have been more of those Bur- Burmese people standing in a house, you know, together or an apartment. You know, two families sit there and just stacking their money up, or it could been a situation where. You know these Burmese people. You know they got approved for a small business loan over the Sudanese. You know, but uh there's a couple of uh, you know Sudanese restaurants here. There's like two, but that they're not doing any doing well at all. You know, it looks kind of sketchy there, and they sell like bootleg clothes. But other than that, I mean, you <laughs> you just see. You know, it's just you know I just I I really don't want to attribute it to racism or things like that, but you can't just deny that fact, you know, that darkest folks just catch hell for, you know, whatever reason. So.
2: What are some of your influences and inspirations as far as what you do on your podcast? Well, first say what your podcast is about for people who don't know. And then what are your formative influences and what inspires you?
0: You know, uh, my podcast is basically, um, it's a current events podcast. Uh, you know, I try to break up the monotony of a pod of my podcast. Cause it's just me. Um, I can't really rely on guests like that. I just wanted to, you know, just kind of flow, uh, you know, freely, but I break up that monotony by, uh, having different, uh, segments, sort of like a TV show, you know? So I start off with the, uh, summer jam screen, you know, just to play off of, uh, Jay-Z's, uh, takeover, you know, don't be the next contestant on that summer jam screen. So I always put like current events right up there. Then the next segment is hold this, uh, is a uh, selling hope yeah. like dope. And I actually, uh, what's funny about that. I actually got that from Barack Obama, <laughs> uh, because, uh, just of the hope can- campaign and just how he ran and uh you know how uh didn't a damn thing get done for black folks you know just kind of looking at his second term and uh, I was just like man he really just sold us a dream you know and uh but at the same time I feel like with the obama thing we should have just been more demanding and uh held his ass to the flame instead of just being a symbol of hope so with that selling hope like dope um, Segment is always somebody who's, you know, just out here bullshitting and lying, but getting over on the people like a pastor or something like that, you know. And then, uh, and then after that, I got hold this L, which is, you know, hold this loss or, you know, you're a loser, just somebody who took a huge L, you know. So, like, somebody like Bobby Valentino when he was running out that, uh, that apartment of that transgendered And then, uh, And then then I go on to not all heroes wear capes, which is somebody who's doing something good, something dope in the community or somebody who's, you know, just fighting a good fight. And then I always try to end it on a positive note, which is health over wealth. And I always say, you know, without your health, you can't enjoy your wealth. So I always want to end it on a positive note just because. Uh, you never know who needs to hear that message. You know, I know some people who listen to my podcast, they just fast forward to them last two parts because they don't want to hear, you know, any kind of doomsday type things that so they want to hear some really motivational. And if I can help you get through that. You know, I'm going to help you do that. And as far as uh, as far as influences goes, uh, I know this is problematic, but uh, I-, I loved watching interviews with like Charlie Rose. But, you know, he catching hell right now. So I don't know if I can say that's an influence, you know, because well, I keep my hands well, to you myself.
2: You're dating life or your, or your marriage or whatever. So that's, 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 yeah. that's, that's, that's <laughs> why you not saying that.
0: <laughs> yeah, good. so. So uh, just watching like those PBS shows with like Charlie Rose and Tavis Smiley. So I loved watching that. Uh, That was always dope growing up. And then as as far as the podcasting, uh, I loved Combat Jack. Uh, He was one of the first, you know, to really just be out here on hop Tip, uh, just to be out here interviewing dope artists. And I loved how his interview style is very conversational. It doesn't sound forced at all. And then, uh, you know, just as far as I just wanted to be that type of adult that I needed as a kid. So always keep that in mind with every episode that I do, so.
2: Yeah, nice. yeah w- one thing about Combat Jack, and, uh, you know, I, I try to stay positive and stuff, but one thing about Combat Jack that he really improved on, right? I'm gonna keep it positive. He improved on this. He used <laughs> to always interrupt the guests and take a good uh, conversation and just divert it to, like, the weirdest thing. And I'd be like,
0: Oh! What was he going to say? You know what? Uh, he did an episode of Joe Budden's podcast way back in the day when he still had Marissa Mendez on and he just they were getting like him and Joe would be getting into some good hip hop discussions. You know how deep Joe Budden can get and how dark yeah. he can get. And then he would just deflect and start talking to Marissa like he was just distracted by her being a woman there. And I'm like, dude, come on. You doing like you did in the early shows, you know, just chill out, oh, bro. Oh, he, he reverted to that. He did that recently. Yeah, yeah. This was a this was about this is a few months ago, about six months, ago, something like that. But yeah, I was just like, you going back to the old Jack? <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Overall, he has not done that um, recently. Like recently, like he used to. And I think he knew because I saw him joking on Twitter about it, about interrupting people. So you know that that's a uh-huh. that's a good thing. Oh, so but he's yeah, aware he's, of it. He's he's self aware. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. He's definitely he's definitely aware of it. He Avarious. aware. Of it. But yeah, his 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 podcast was one of the early ones that really got me interested in what uh, podcasting could be as well for uh black yeah black absolutely folk. yeah absolutely because the first one i really you know who else yeah, go, is, go ahead the first one i listened to was uh joe rogan but that got old fast because there's <laughs> a lot of
0: suspect uh views he does joe rogan does like if you hold him up to the light he'll look a little funny you know yeah. so yeah but you were saying uh, who else yeah i was saying uh a. uh, uh there's a lot of, you know, this wave of so many black folks jumping into uh podcast it's just so dope because, uh, y'all remember back in the Clinton era when they, uh, you yeah. know, uh, that FCC thing. And basically you had all the conglomerates, you know, teaming up to just purchase all these, uh, these smaller radio stations and turn them into, you know, just BS and, you know, just, you know, just to hypnotize people. But I love this, this, uh, resurgence of, folks black folks just having their own platform and just speaking you know truth to power and there's a sister named barry who has a website podcastingcolor.com i don't know if y'all check that out but she has a wonderful website and it's just nothing but uh mainly black podcasts but there's some other colored folks on there too but she she does a just great job of just you know supporting you know uh, black podcasters oh nice i'm going to
2: uh put that in the show notes
0: what yeah, was yeah. and you definitely definitely uh, get on there she has a whole uh, index of uh, you know listed of and separated by categories and like talk radio um, like cooking entertainment sports so yeah just definitely I mean you already got a bunch of listeners but you could you know it don't hurt to get a few more get up on there so
3: oh, man never can have too many
0: yeah exactly yeah you started getting some more of that Patreon money so I need a couple dollars Patreon
1: to- money what Patreon <laughs> money <laughs> Right, right, right. Moving on, moving on. Let's what, Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, uh, I want to talk about some stuff because, you know, the focus of your podcast live is we can review stuff. So I want to kind of do some of that with you here today. So, yeah, so, yeah I mean, I had a couple of things I want to bring up. And then any of you guys can feel free to bring up anything you want to bring up that you notice going on during the week. I uh I made a thread about Terry Cruz and I was a little surprised because it didn't get retweeted that much and then it just kind of caught fire later and he blocked no. me about two hours after it came out. <laughs> and I was like, how the fuck? I didn't tag him. I put <laughs> I put the picture of the tweet, you know, so that he wouldn't um be notified
3: is on there searching his name yeah
2: i think maybe he's searching his name but i think somebody might have switched a snitch because some uh lady who i think produces documentaries in hollywood some like um her name is lexi alexander and and she kind of uh got at me about you know leave terry cruz alone i don't know this is a big grown-ass man he doesn't need
1: did she add him in that? <laughs> man,
2: is a big she, ass bro. Did she put his man. at in there? Yeah. Uh, uh, she she, exactly. she didn't at him, but you know she had a blue check, and I think she's uh kind of well followed. So she quote tweeted me about you know you gotta leave Terry Crews alone, and then and okay. then she kind uh, of with me.
3: Right, I hate what people do. Kind of dry snitched on you, huh?
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's the end of the world to me, but but it was just kind of funny. Yeah, that he he it. blocked me that fast, like as soon as the. Yeah. A tweet came out, but what the uh, thread was about was, you guys have seen how he's been, he talked about that guy uh, groping his junk, and then he came out, and after that happened, and first he didn't want to name the guy, and then he got a little emboldened for whatever reason, and did name the guy, and after he named the guy, he started doing all these weird tweets and threads about, pathology in the black community that i found this weird i'm like why would you be getting groped by some powerful white guy and then there's a whole rash of white people getting outed for sexual abuse sexual harassment and then your first instinct is to start throwing the black community under the bus and what i was saying in the thread is i don't think that's coincidental i think when you're a black guy and you're trying to play the game, like white women are protected a lot more than black guys are. So he can actually let signal to the community at large, the white community, Hey, look, um, I'm not going off the reservation that much. You know, I'm not, I'm just calling out one or two guys. I'm not someone that you have to worry about, um, being a radical or making this a race thing or, you know, not being a team player for, you know, team white anymore. So he kinda had to like signal a little bit that uh he was still willing to play ball and be uh do some of the heavy lifting for, you know, white supremacy. Cause he he had this thread. It was it was a couple of days ago. It was about Terry Cruz calls out quote unquote pimp culture in the black community. And it was written up everywhere. It was written up in The Blaze, which is uh, Tommy Lauren's ex-site, the one that she used to be at, run by uh, Glenn Beck. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rap has had a coverage of it. Like Terry Crews says, pimp culture in the black community silences sexual abuse victims. And then the radio stations were talking about Terry Crews blaming pimp culture. And I was like what does pimp culture have to do with a Hollywood exec grabbing your junk at a freaking white Hollywood party? You see what I'm
0: saying? Yeah. I think, uh, with the, uh, Terry yeah. Cruz thing, he's doing what he can to, uh, get back into these circles. Right. So, uh, i this funny that you know you made this thread because I was actually going to talk about this on my show because there's an episode of Jesus and Meryl from uh off of Iceland for uh was about three weeks ago and he was talking about how um he takes these goofy ass jobs and in Hollywood and doing all this slapstick comedy because he needs to take care of his family so he has this mentality of I need to do what I can to keep the damn on so this doesn't surprise me that you know know, he would, you know, throw black folks up under the bus because it's just showing that, like, hey, I can go along to get along to get this damn paycheck, you know, which is a sad sight.
3: We'll play the minstrel for food. Huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, exactly.
3: That's
1: sad. We're the easiest targets, too. You
0: know? we're, the most,
1: uh, we're the most defenseless targets. I mean, I know y'all all remember being in the playground. It's a bunch of dudes around and one dude is just going in on the other guy, and he's sitting there taking it because he can't do nothing but take it. And then some other guy's over there laughing his ass off, and he's, what are you laughing at? And, he, you know, he takes it. He takes his frustration yeah, with that guy absolutely. out on the guy absolutely. that he goes yeah, to as, over Yeah, as opposed on.
2: to the guy who's really got his foot on his yeah. neck. And, and he, he was doing yeah. some weird stuff, too, because he was just looking for any reason to get in the black community, because he had another one. Um, somebody this site called Today in History tweeted on November 22nd, the movie Friday After Next is released, starring Ice Cube, Mike Epps, John Witherspoon, Cat Williams, and Terry Crews. Now, they've tweeted this on November 22nd, and how how, uh, Today in History works is like every day, They talk about something that happened in the past on that day. And then Terry Crews retweeted that saying, wow, this movie is a real lesson on the predator culture in the black community. It's funny because it was so real. It's like, wait, what are you like? Like, you're looking for any reason to just uh, bring up black community. I did a search Terry Crews and black community and he was just going uh, on any pretense so like somebody brings up a movie he was in he goes oh yeah i remember that movie it really reminded me of predator culture in the black community
3: and and um like who the hell watched that movie and thinks of predator culture
2: yeah and, and like 15 years after the fact he's doing that much of a yeah. read like he's looking for any reason to kind of um signal any way you can to let uh white people white people know hey hey look i am not uh getting radically. cuz i think he might have miscalculated you know i think sometimes when you hang out with uh white people too much you start thinking oh i get the perks or protection that they have so maybe you saw all like these uh, white women getting pressed and some white men getting press, you know calling out uh white male predators and he was like hey this is my chance to do this. I'm not saying he did it just for publicity, but he probably thought, oh, I didn't like what this guy did. This is my chance to teach my abuser a lesson. And then maybe he got some kind of wake up call that kind of made him see, oh, wait a minute. I might I think something happened that kind of let him know that you're not like these people. This is going to hurt you more. And because mm. it's a very weird about face that he did, I think
1: exactly well, I saw think... the reaction though I'm sorry no go ahead bro I was gonna say you saw the reaction well I you know from what I was seeing of his reaction of when he came out initially he didn't name the guy who uh touched him but and everybody was calling him you know it, it didn't go the way it went for the other ladies I think from what I saw initially you know it was you know nobody was applauding his bravery for stepping forward people were like why didn't you say something or why you didn't deck the guy or why you know so I think he he didn't get the support that he initially thought he was going to get. Yeah, they, exactly. that too. And the
2: fan base too. You're right. The fan base didn't do it. I think the media, uh, the media kind of liked it because I think they kind of like an emasculated black man, especially if he's a big black man. They kind of like that, like that big gentle giant. Um, John. Uh, Coffey. John Coffee. What was that? i said john coffee uh i don't remember john john coffee is that green mile that's what
1: that's
2: what i was gonna say green mile i just didn't know that was his name so you're on the same page his name is john coffee the character was yeah 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 because that, that's what i was gonna say the green mile like like they like that because you look at his roles he's never um he's either like married and the wife is like off screen or something like he's kind of like he's like a eunuch you know he's he's big and burly but he's just kind of like a mascot or you know he's he's never like hooking up with somebody or in the romantic pool yeah, he's,
3: a, he's a harmless yeah character. yeah he's, he's a yeah, he's always a
2: he's harmless. always a harmless character um uh, there's this uh tv trope called um the wharf effect and the wharf effect y- y'all ever watch uh star trek Uh, Next Generation, that character Worf. Yeah. And it's interesting because Worf was played by a black guy. But, you know, he was a Klingon. And the thing with Worf was he was supposed to be like, when the show started, the badass of the show. But he would always end up kind of doing bitchy things, like, you know, having to babysit like a weird alien or something. (laughs) And it was supposed to be notable because, oh, he's a badass, but he's doing something you wouldn't expect a badass to do and it's supposed to be kind of like ironic, you know? And, and the Worf effect was whenever a new villain would come onto the bridge or something, the immediate way to make him look like a badass was to have the villain, the first thing the villain would always do is smack the shit out of Worf. (laughs) each time. So, so it, it would be like somebody would come in the scene and it's like coming comical. Worf would just go and go, this is wrong. I'm going to take care of this. And he'd go and the guy would just backhand him and you know everyone would just be like backhanding him left and right. And then the fans started calling it the Worf effect because what started happening was that the instances of him getting bitched out were outweighing the instances of him doing something badass, like people couldn't even re- remember the last thing he just did so that was, was badass. Yeah. So <laughs> Thanks, instead, <bro.
3: laughs>
2: instead of making instead of making the villain look better, it just had no. All of it would just start making him look worse. So he just became just a bitch. He wasn't even. Uh, yeah. His
1: character became increasingly neutered throughout the episode, throughout the series.
2: That I feel like Terry Crews is like that. Terry he was Cruz. the
3: T dog
2: of uh, yeah. Star Trek,
1: right? So he's T dog up in
3: space. <laughs> oh, T dog. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, it's It's like, yeah, his his uh being a bitch just became his neutral, wow, uh, twenty four seven state. And then, why do they do with Terry like Cruz, that, man? <laughs> Yeah. Mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, technically, technically he's a Klingon, but oh, we all yeah, know yeah. he's black. Yeah. You know, we, we all know he's black. But I feel like Terry Crews is like that. The Klingon's the only black on Yeah, I feel sure. like Terry Crews' is, uh, big shtick is, oh, I'm a big, dangerous guy. But look, I'm playing with a puppy. Or look, you know, I'm I'm scared of a mouse. I'm jumping on a chair. And I feel like he's getting the wharf effect. Like, he does so much stuff where he's... Playing against supposed type that that's now become his norm like that's his energy now like I can't even remember the last badass thing he did he's 90 percent of the stuff is the supposed um the supposed out of character stuff which has now just become his full- time character he you know what I'm saying like,
3: you know, like there's even that picture with him with all the uh, the actors from the um, the expendables and he's wearing like a bra. You know what I mean? He, like he, he shows his chest and he's got a damn bra on and all this kind of goofy shit. But well, you know what's interesting? So, the the bra was yeah, photoshopped. Yeah, that that the one. bra was photoshopped because oh I didn't know that. Okay. But 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 what's interesting is how
2: believable it was. There was no yeah, reason. He, it, it,
3: yeah yeah yeah. You exactly.
2: didn't question it? No, you didn't question it. I, I didn't. I didn't question it either. I didn't question it for a second. I was more surprised when I found out that the bra wasn't real.
3: Yeah, I thought, you know, it was a part of his character. No, me like, too. Okay, there he is
1: again. I always looked at Terry Crews kind of funny, though. You know what I mean? I remember seeing him on, I think it was The View. that He had said something controversial on The View, so I went back and looked at it. And, uh, well, it wasn't really that controversial. Uh, they blew it up. But then he was talking to Whoopi, and he was saying how much uh Sylvester Stallone was a father figure to him. And I was just like, Damn. Dude, you like 40. You looking for a father figure at 40, man? You got the to... I mean that is I wild. mean, I don't know. Maybe that I just that looked at that kind of like weird to me. Like it just But you really know but you
2: me. know why he was in the, he was in athletics. He was in athletics. He was in the NFL and they do try to uh ingrain a lot of that. In you, that, that that father thing, they try to train you to think of the coach as, you know, a white daddy. And I think they people start carrying that with them. Like, you know,
1: they're looking for a white daddy in every yeah. every white dude they see, I guess. huh?
0: Exactly. I think uh, with this whole Terry Crews situation is why he didn't get so much support and respect is because, you know, it's. It's this big ass burly black dude having somebody, you know, grab his junk in front of his wife. And it's just like that is the most emasculating thing ever. And it's just like, if you ain't going to stand yeah, on your own two yeah, feet, sure. you know, why should we try to prop you up and, you know, offer you empathy and sympathy? You know what I'm saying? So,
1: Yeah. Especially from a man point of view. Any, yeah. Like, that, even like the white dudes, the black dudes, everybody was in a total agreement of what you just said. It was like, hold on, man. You didn't. nah, you posted you know, you. I was worried I could go to jail. Like, dudes don't even think about that until afterwards. Exactly. Like, man, I, I probably shouldn't have did that too. Yeah. To him, you know, but yeah. in the heat of the moment, a dude coming and grab him. But it kind of shows, yeah, it shows
2: where his head is at, too, because he's like, he was, he said, uh, he, he didn't just say, it's one thing to say, I'm afraid I might go to jail, but what he specifically said is, why would he think about the black man this big, this heavy, doing it? He specifically said, why would he think, so he was thinking about what would the impression be to the white people of me as a black guy and i think the fact that that's what you thought of i wouldn't want you to respect this jail thing more if he just said i'm worried about jail but that wasn't what he actually said he said i was worried about what they would think to see like you know the black guy he would play to the stereotype mm-hmm. of being aggressive
1: Yeah, that's important.
2: So, so he was thinking self-neutering he was thinking self-neutering and i'm thinking when you had that self-neutering energy and you know, I felt this in the corporate world. When you have that self-neutering energy, I think that energy, and I know it's gonna sound like victim blaming, it's gonna a lot of people probably get on me about this, but I think that's what made that guy grope and miscalculate. They can feel that you're castrating yourself. You don't want to be real masculine. Like cause his masculinity is a caricature of masculinity. It's cartoonish. You, you know? know,
0: he's cartoonish. I think they probably look at him like a giant teddy bear, like people in Hollywood circles, you know, probably just look at him at just because of how he carries himself, you know, doing anything to keep them lights on and for a check. So
2: yeah, that and people feel your energy. Yeah. Peak, peak Mike Tyson. They would never have done that. No. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and from what a double said um, on, you said on vice, he mentioned specifically that the things that he does, he does for the paycheck. So they, he basically admitted that he he whores himself out in order to make ends meet to a certain degree. And when people know that you're that vulnerable, you know, they, they'll they take advantage of you in whatever possible way that they can. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's is that person
2: on the job that the manager knows is the one who needs the job the most, mm-hmm. or is most afraid of losing the job. You know, that's a lot of times if you have a bad manager, that's yeah. the guy that he's gonna pick on the most.
3: No doubt. I, you know, there's something else that happened with him on Twitter. Uh, speaking of, you know, the comments that he made throwing the black community into his personal situation. Um, somebody actually had called him out on that on his Twitter. And, um, they said, you know, throwing the black community under the bus to, to make yourself to, to use as an example is, is corny or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. And then he says, I've always been corny to the black community and I take that as a compliment. Thank you. It's like, yes. Wait, what? I missed
2: that one actually let's back up just a little bit to give it some context because here's what happened he said he had already been doing a lot of his um, weird segues into talking about the black community for like maybe a week now where every chance he would get you'd be like yeah you know pimp culture in the black community oh someone brought up this movie I was in interesting movie it reminds me of predator pathology in the black community and he was doing all that weird stuff the the latest thing was and this is wrong just to get that out there. Somebody called Sucker Free, who is at his at is I be Sucker Free, that <laughs> uh, I understand they were scared to come out, but then everyone was scared, even the faggot Terry Crews, <laughs> and he had like a oh, eye roll emoji, right? Now that's that's that's, that's yeah, wrong. You really shouldn't wrong. call him a faggot. That's that's no, don't do that. But he Terry Crews jumped on it, which makes me think mm. he does search his name because the guy didn't add Terry Cruz, you know? Uh, the the same way he blocked me instantly. I think he does do search his <laughs> own name, which is kind of cheesy. I mean I've I've done it, but I'm not I I'm not on TV. So I feel like it, I'd actually imagine if I was on TV I wouldn't search my own name. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, he quoted he quoted this guy as a quote tweet and then in the quote tweet added being sexually assaulted makes me gay, or in your own words, a faggot, parentheses, reprehensible term. Molesters use the same logic on their female or child victims, calling them bitches or hoes who ask for it. This mindset has gone unchallenged by the black community for too long. So, So, he was he was taking this one guy, because I searched uh, Terry Crews' faggot after this happened, because I want to see if this was a widespread black thing, and it was just like one guy. <laughs> so he uses this guy, and he quotes him to make it seem like this is a black community thing of, uh, you know, clowning him, and he's going back to that same thing about, uh, oh, the black community, the black community. And that was the thing that led to what, D was talking about about somebody saying, "Hey, uh, it's not it's not fair to throw the whole black community under the bus," which led to the next thing he said that D was talking about, where he said, uh, "I've always been corny to the black community, and I take that as a compliment. Thank you." Uh, and that's another signaling I felt he was doing to white people, like, "Hey, look, not only am I not a radical, white people don't even black people don't even accept me." You know, my whole life. I've been called corny by the black community. And and you guys know when someone says that black people find them corny, what is that a euphemism for? You know, that that means like what exactly white. He's he's signaling to white people who may be looking, hey, I'm an honorary white person. Even black people think so. That's how m- much of a threat I'm not. Uh like that was signaling. Like, like, why would he? display that it's such a weird thing to say and then he added i take that as a compliment so that's to let them know hey not only am i not accepted by the black community not only have i never been accepted by the black community because he put my whole life he also adds i take that as a compliment to let them know hey this is not bothering me i'm not itching to get back in there i wear it with um, pride.
3: i'm exactly yeah yeah oh but thank god they find me corny yeah exactly if they love me that means I would be because if if i think he's from i don't know is he from california i'm
1: like not that. sure that's a good maybe question. gary i'm see he's from a rough town though you know i know he's from like detroit or gary or something like that and that's a funny thing it might not necessarily be true he,
2: he might not even it might not even really be the truth he might just be saying it you know for all we know he may have grown up well comfortable. Come on. In the...
3: uh, a, a, a brother that played football at the highest level made it to the NFL was right. looked at as corny. And yeah, the I looked at that and said, they they come from Flint, <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> and
2: on. his early work was his, his early oh, work was in black stuff, too. So it wasn't like, you know, even in Hollywood, wasn't he doing like, like the Friday movies and yeah. stuff like
1: that? Hey, Adrian. Yeah. You're gonna yeah. have to um you're gonna have to uh make Flint hold that L in that next L segment of your podcast. <laughs> okay,
0: they're gonna have to take <laughs> an L
1: for Terry Crews because he ain't repping Flint right at all.
0: He ain't, but I don't know if I can give him that L because they got water trouble, so I don't wanna you know come down on them too oh, okay. hard, you know. Yeah. So. You know, yeah, they got they got wrong. it bad yeah.
2: enough,
1: right
0: now. Hey, hey, uh uh
2: Adrian, you had a similar experience with uh J, yeah. right? He, <laughs> yeah, L Kun J.
0: Yeah, uh he uh so i you know yeah 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 hey
2: fam so this episode is just part one of a two-part episode to get part two go to patreon.com and subscribe to hear what happened with l cool j and adrian and a bunch of other stuff we have a bunch of other topics as well but the episode went double the length that we decided to break it up into two episodes and make it the part one and the part two of the same week so yeah go to patreon.com subscribe to hear part two and also you get access to all the past episodes that the show had that were premium and bonus so that's only five dollars a month and I think it's a pretty good bargain. But anyway, that's this week's episodes, and we will see you soon. Take care, guys.